Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Hello there again, everyone. It is Friday, September 22nd, and welcome to episode 68. The Matt Schoon played 103 games for the Detroit Falcons and the Sheboygan Redskins in the late 40s. And if you knew that, you are absolutely lying, because no one knows that. Unless you're cheating on Hoopsgrid, of course, and I know you're out there. I've seen some of your scores on social media, ladies and gentlemen. But this is the returning Walder Sportscast. Yes, another return, and I'll get into that momentarily. But I am your host, Chris Walder. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. And hey, if you like what you hear today, give the podcast a rating and review. Helps me out a ton, lets me know you're vibing with the show, which can really go a long way. And also, for the record, I am going to call it Twitter for the foreseeable future, not X. You know, I refuse to do that. Won't be happening. Twitter is ingrained in my vocabulary, and I'm not going to be ditching it anytime soon. And I know the change in name happened over the summer, and since I haven't done a show <laughs> since May, when I recorded with Wrestling Brand's Josh Custodio, I feel like I should just mention that little tidbit briefly. But yes, it's been a good minute since I recorded. I had a busy summer. I don't think a lot of people were recording anyway, which kind of helped my cause. But I did drop the ball. I didn't want to go on a long hiatus again like that. But I'm 35 years old and life just kind of caught up with me in many ways. That's no excuse. Don't get me wrong. People with much busier lives still create content on the regular. So I'm not going to sit here and try and justify my absence. All I can really say is that I do appreciate you coming back on this journey with me, jumping back on the bandwagon, if you will. The NBA is going to start up again for the 2023-24 season. You know, professional wrestling never stops either. So I have a lot to talk about and many people I want to chat it up with. And that all begins today because joining me on today's program is a young man who was front and center at the FIBA Basketball World Cup, covering all the action and keeping everyone up to date on Canada's journey during the tournament. His name is Alex Adams. Alex Adams BTP on Twitter. If you're not following him on social media, perhaps you've been reading and checking out his work over at Raptors Republic or are a fan of his Behind the Play podcast where he interviews several media personalities from around the industry. He knows his basketball, has a ton of great insight on Canada's run to that historic bronze medal, which we'll discuss today. We're also going to talk some NBA and some Toronto Raptors basketball because, you know, we have a lot to catch up on. And I'm excited to get back into the swing of things here with this podcast, frankly. I... I recently had a discussion with a good friend of mine at a bachelor party weekend I attended, and we were talking about finding things we were passionate about and maintaining hobbies because we're obviously at stages in our lives where family and finances and trying to keep a roof over our respective heads is really of the utmost importance, but finding something on the side to keep us happy and an activity, something that we can kind of get excited about, I hope this podcast is that for me because I do want to maintain it. Maybe it will never become something truly special or at the tarp, top of the charts, but it really does make me happy, so I'm going to keep going until the wheels fall off. But for now, though, thank you so much for listening, because Alex Adams is going to be joining me after this quick break. So keep it locked. Perfect! is Alex Adams, an analyst for Canada's senior men's basketball team over at Raptors Republic. He's also the host of the Behind the Play podcast, which you can check out on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you download your shows. Follow him on Twitter at AlexAdamsBTP. Alex, buddy, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, I just want to say that uh, you're, you're vo I, there's only a couple people that I met that have, are kind of at your level of a soothing voice, and that's Dan Shulman and you right now. So I feel very calm and at ease because <laughs> uh, of your voice, and I, I'm excited to, to come on. I'm a big fan of your work, and uh, this should be fun. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And again, flattery will get you everywhere. You're putting me in the same stratosphere as a Dan <laughs> Shulman uh, in terms of my voice, someone who I very much look uh, up to in the industry. You've had Dan Shulman on your own podcast in the past. How was that like uh, talking to Dan? He was really kind. Um, I, I felt as though, like, you know, those, those like, um, 
those apps where it's like they like soothe you to sleep with like someone talking or something i feel like that's what dad does with his voice it's just so at ease um <laughs> has a voice for for tv and radio um but uh, he was really nice and you know what was cool was just he has a you know to, to link it to the canada basketball he has such a deep affection and cares so much about the program um that to, to be on to talk to him about it and and all the trials and tribulations that canada basketball has gone through was pretty cool and um interesting little nip like kind of nugget is that uh, he literally has in his contract that with sportsnet that if when canada makes the olympics that he'd, he'd have to go and and uh, <laughs> the games for the men's team so that's that shows you how committed he is so uh really nice guy and i'm um, very fortunate to you know uh, of, of kind of knowing him a little bit thinking three steps ahead i like that about dan shulman uh, again I mean, having to get you on my podcast today alex thankfully i didn't have to get any special criteria uh to sign you <laughs> to make an appearance so uh, i really do appreciate your time today buddy and uh, again I, we could talk about dan until the cows come home he's one of my favorites but i want to talk about you today buddy uh, again i would say maybe one of the biggest standouts of the tournament not named shea gilgis alexander and dylan brooks because <laughs> i must say your coverage was all over social media you were out there in jakarta it must have been an incredible experience for you and we will talk more in depth about like the actual basketball but First off, for those who are unaware, I my day job, I actually work for an airline. I work for Lufthansa mm. Airlines, which is more German-based. Oh, yeah. I'm a part of their Miles and More program, which is kind of like what Air Canada does with their aeroplane. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you first and foremost, just getting yourself over there to the tournament, what was your experience like? The flight, did you lose any bags? Because I keep hearing stories, horror no, stories about so, airports. So do you have anything like that? So I want to say on the record, Lufthansa has to be better than air canada uh just to, to plug your, <laughs> your employer um i came prepared i had a pretty bad debacle earlier last year uh, or this year actually uh, in terms of traveling with air canada so i came prepared i had only carry on um i will say that i'm, I'm a pretty tall guy uh so sleeping in planes is not my forte i also have sleep apnea so it was tiring uh i did not have a lot of sleep Getting there, thankfully, on the way back, it was a bit better. But uh, yeah, basically just went to Tokyo, which was a really cool kind of place to be in for a day, even though you're at an airport, just the food and everything. And um, no real hiccups. I would say my, I guess my welcome to Asia or welcome to Indonesia story was more when I got to Indonesia uh, in terms of, or to Jakarta specifically, because <laughs> I uh, came prepared with some money just to get a taxi to to the uh, to my hotel, and it was a bit. It was like a forty minute drive from the airport. And uh, long story short, is I get there. Someone you know says, "Okay, like get in the taxi." I say, "How much?" You know, they say whatever. I get in, and then I realize it's not the taxi driver, but it's a middleman. And then they start bar <laughs> bartering in front of me, and not yelling and screaming, but <laughs> maybe kicking and screaming. Um, and then I get in the car and the driver's swirling back and forth. His eyes are half open. I have to kind of yell at him to, to stay awake. And I'm thinking to myself, this I don't want to die this way, okay? Like, just make it right. <laughs> a different way. Well, I, I, uh, it was like one in the morning there. So thankfully I got there and all is well. But uh, that was my welcome to Indonesia moment. So um the flights were fine and, and everything, uh, but uh, and I actually met uh, Arash Madani, who I worked alongside for the Jakarta whole tournament uh, at the airport. We were on the same flight, but didn't realize it. So that was a kind of nice, warm welcome to, to Jakarta. Well, as a tall man, you know, I, I assume you flew economy, which again, we're all trying to save a yeah. few bucks here and there. Maybe the next time I once flew premium economy, we got bumped up uh, oh accidentally God. and then into business makes a world of difference. If you're ever doing those long haul flights, it's worth the extra money. Yeah, no, uh, I have personal experience of being uh, almost uh, my, my mother was a, a diplomat and I used to live in New Zealand. And they, the government, if a Canadian diplomat government gives you a, a stipend. And my mother, I was pretty tall. I was about 15, like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, could never sleep on planes. And she used the money to, instead of us going in business class, which is the allocated to, to plan a trip. So after telling right. me that uh, it would be for a business class so I could sleep. So I, that, that was my painful sleeping on a plane <laughs> moment that I, I think of, of like the almost, but uh, didn't happen. I will say, though... 
that uh, on the way back, Bruno Caboclo and the rest of the Brazilian team was right in front of me in uh, economy. So uh, that's <laughs> told me a bit. So at the end, Bruno, I, I developed a bit of a relationship with him. Um, he, and I can talk about it later. But on the way back, I see him. He was right in front of me for the, the first leg of the trip. And he said, like, have a great uh, flight home and everything <laughs> while he's in economy with me. Um, so that was quite uh, interesting. Uh, and shout out to Bruno. He was he was really, really funny and kind to me while I, I, I interacted with him a couple times. Well, I do my research when I have my guests on. I listened to a number of podcast appearances that you oh, had done. You. And you had, you've talked about Bruno Coboloco on a, a couple of the other shows. I, I remember an anecdote you said about how Bruno was very adamant that he wanted to defeat Canada uh, more so yes. than any other team. I guess he holds a little bit of grudge during his time with the Raptors. I think it's a fun grudge. I wouldn't say it was him going in Michael Jordan. It became personal with me. I would say it was more of a... Uh, <laughs> More of a just, I would just describe it kind of like I want to get back at, at kind of Canada and, and, and everything. But it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was a lot of vindictiveness or anything like that. It was kind of more playful. Um, so he he was really good. And I just interviewed him ahead of the Canada game. And, you know, he, he said the generic things. I asked him about people and uh, players on the team, any relationships. And then after he kind of jokingly said... Uh, you know, uh, him and the media guys like, oh, we want to beat it, be Canada for the Raptors fans kind of thing. And I said, is that off the record <laughs> or on the record? And it kind of didn't come back. But I wasn't it wasn't to be like just to put context. It wasn't anything right. uh, kind of too, too much. But uh, I, I, I could tell he was very happy when uh, Brazil beat uh, Canada. And what that was just a awful game to, to watch. <laughs> but uh Good on him, and he was amazing. I, I honestly, watching him there, I thought he definitely could have a role in the NBA. Um, the way he played, he was by far Brazil's best player, I thought, or him and another player named Diago Santos. But mm -hmm. uh, it's weird. He he was a center for for people that don't know. He played center for Brazil and uh, was really really good. So I guess the two years away from being two years away jokes are officially dead following that performance against us. I, we can't really drop that bombshell anymore. It was a it was a fun line for many, many years, but he absolutely torched us that day. Yeah, he, he absolutely did. I believe he had, uh, I, I don't have it, he had a double-double like 21 and 13 and three or four blocks. He, he played really well, really well and um, posed a lot of problems for RJ and Shea and all those guys. He was really, really good and actually in the airport, for another anecdote, um, people that might not know or, or remember, but mm -hmm. uh, Brazil was playing Latvia right before Canada beat Spain. And if Brazil had won, um, and actually if Canada had lost against Spain, Brazil would have made the Olympics. Um, and Brazil, obviously, if they had won and, and uh, they could have made the quarters, and even if Canada won, uh, they would have put themselves in a great position to make the Olympics. And it was a close game against Latvia, and he got three FIBA calls in the second half, and the game just, they had to take him out, and, and Latvia ran away. And I was in the airport with him, uh, and I said, man, you got screwed on those calls. He's like, yeah, man, like, oh, the refs always get me. Like, I have to be better, but man, oh, man, like, that that wasn't right or something like that. So he, he definitely... Uh, felt to FIBA officiating and I thought he got a bit done over by by the refs uh, but uh, I wouldn't say he was the only one and FIBA officiating man yeah I don't I, I never really have love NBA officiating but mm -hmm. definitely better than than FIBA I'll, I'll say that well, Bruno Caboloco not getting the star calls as of yet. Give him a little bit, of, a little bit more time. Maybe <laughs> two he's two years away from. Exactly. Give him a little calls. more uh, breathing room, and, and he'll start getting those calls. But Alex, again, it was so awesome listening to and, and reading all of your coverage on social media, my friend. And you're obviously out there. You're covering Canada. You're covering the games. Journalistic approach aside, you you want to see the team farewell on that type of a stage. But before the games even get underway, how optimistic were you about Canada's chances before everything even got started? Because obviously they hadn't meddled before. We knew of the talent that Canada possesses. But even to your wildest expectations, Alex, did a medal at these games even seem realistic to you? Uh, that's a really good question. And I would say... It was before the tournament. I kept saying, if they beat France, they make the quarterfinals, and then they make the Olympics. That's how I saw it. Obviously, there was the hiccup of the Brazil game, and then when Canada was down 
by 12 points and in, going into the fourth quarter if you go back on my timeline on twitter uh, you'll see uh, i was oh here we go again um probably wasn't <laughs> fun to talk to if if you saw any of the spanish media around me um yeah i wasn't in a good mood but Overall, I would say I thought it was definitely possible. I didn't think this team had no chance at, at getting a medal. But because of the draw, uh, for me, it was really if they could get to the quarters, then they had a really good chance. Um, and because they had essentially the toughest section of the draw with France, who is, uh, you know, the reigning silver medalist at the Olympics, Spain, number one in the world. Latvia is a good team. Who would have known that their only loss would have been against Brazil? Right. So they had a tough, tough group compared to the U.S., for example, mm -hmm. who really only faced one good team in their first to make the quarterfinals and lost that game. So I thought it was possible. I wouldn't I would have said it was, you know, more likely than not that they wouldn't have got a medal. I, I feel much more confident that they get a medal going into the Olympics next year. You know, I know it's what we're 10, 11 months away, but uh, just it's smaller tournament and everything um and and a bit easier draw presumably now that they're sixth in the world so it's uh yeah w what a statement just the fact that they were able to, to finally win that medal <laughs> in the way they did right um i i kept thinking to myself this might be almost better than winning the gold medal in a lot of ways because mm -hmm. they beat the us right um, to, to capture it and, you know, talking, you know, I, I was on a couple radio stations that weren't just sports radio. And the thing was, their whole thing was, how did we beat the U.S., right? <laughs> Canada beating the USA in basketball is such a, uh, you know, brings so much notoriety that even a FIBA World Cup gold medal, I don't know, like, I don't know what you'd rather have. Um, I'm sure the players would rather have had a, a gold medal, but if they had won the gold medal without being the U.S., I don't know. Um, how kind of like it's just an interesting debate we'll never know but to beat the USA in the way they did and man after that Mikhail Bridges shot I was like here we go again <laughs> but then Shay Shay just made me calm I think you know I do a lot of meditation in my life I think I just need to watch Shay highlights or watch him live or something just to get me calm <laughs> because he was so so calming and, and there's so many um, I can go into it later but uh, just the presence he had for this team was like they don't as great as Dylan Brooks was and they needed both of them Shea was the best player in the tournament I voted him for for him for MVP uh, you know shout out to Dennis Schroeder but um, you know <laughs> I don't think uh, Dennis was as good as Shea throughout the tournament but uh, also Dennis won I think four of 26 in a game so uh, I think right. I'm gonna MVPs don't do that as like probably Stephen A said or something one time but uh, yeah <laughs> Well, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, the Dan Shulman on the basketball court, making everyone a little bit relaxed, calming <laughs> the nerves, reference. if you will. Uh, and again, yeah. obviously a, a great pick um, for the best player of the tournament. Obviously, Dennis Schroeder won MVP. But again, we'll get into those guys a little bit later on. But something that I've always been curious about, you're over there covering the games. It's it's one of the first times, maybe the first time that you've covered an event of first this time. magnitude. And it kind of reminds me of when you know I went to my first Toronto Raptors game as media. It was almost hard for me because I've been on social media. I act as like this diehard fan. It was hard for me to differentiate like the journalist, the writer that I was supposed to be that day, and the overall basketball fan that I still am to this day have been for many, many years. Did, did you ever find yourself in that kind of predicament? You're watching Canada play basketball. It almost hits you over the head that like you're in Jakarta, you're watching Canada's men's bas basketball team. But then again, you have to differentiate the job at hand from the basketball fan that you are. Did you ever have that problem? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting debate. I had some people reach out and, you know, say, like, this always happens. And I think I said once, like, it sucks being a Canada basketball fan. And people kind of gave me grief. And I, I, I somewhat understand. I would say um, it didn't mean that I wasn't critical of the team. It was more I just wanted them to win, right? So the outcome I cared about, but not the way I covered them changed, for example, right? Like, I asked the tough questions to Jordi Fernandez or... You know all the guys on, on on the team after the brazil loss right i you know um and uh, they weren't very forthcoming i would say uh and right. that could be maybe a different discussion um but yeah it's, it's a tough thing i would say being around all the journalists they all felt like i think covering a national team as a you know a national reporter or just like from the nation you are at like an olympics is a bit different 
in terms of if you're, you know, if you're doing a, a broadcast, I think that's a bit different, but um, just it, it felt like everyone else had a rooting interest in whatever country they were there for, which was interesting, um, especially if they weren't doing broadcast. So uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting dilemma that, you know, as you mentioned with the Raptors, that's a bit different, right? Um, because it's not mm-hmm. the Canadian team. But at the same time, you could say that it's the, the same equivalency. So I think the way I tried to approach it was just, am I being fair? Am I being critical um, when needed to be? Uh, you know, I had people, you know, from Canada basketball reach out when I put tweets out after the the, the Shea game or after the Brazil game and saying, you know, you took this out of context or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I didn't feel that way. So it wasn't like everyone at Canada basketball was happy with my coverage either. Right. Um, so I think I just played it the way I knew best and I'm going to make mistakes and learn by it. Um, but at the end of the day, like I look at Blake Murphy or Michael Grange, like they want Canada to win, but does that mean that if Dylan Brooks is two of 10, that from the field that I say, it's only the ref's fault, right? Or it's yeah. not Jordy Fernandez's fault or, you know, make up maybe excuses or not ask the question like what went wrong or say, oh, so the ref screwed you. I'm, I'm just making kind of different things up, but um, it's an interesting dilemma and something that you really have to mire through. But at the same time, um, you know, unless you're jumping up and down and cheering for, for Canada, uh, which I think is probably a bit too much. Um, but I did see that a little bit from some of the journalists. I won't lie. Um, and, uh, it was pretty cool to, to be there. And, uh, I will say I was very happy when, when Canada beat Spain and, and the, when they beat France was like as much a surreal moment, just the way they did it and the energy and the crowd and everything. So I know that's a long winded answer, but I, I tried my best to, uh, be critical, be fair, but also, uh, definitely wanted them to win, um, at the same time. You mentioned his name earlier, Arash Madani. He was out there and he was doing a lot of coverage in his own right. Did you learn any tools of the trade, oh. tips of the trade from a, a journalist quite yes. like him? Yes, I did. Uh, he was phenomenal to me. I actually knew him a little bit. Um, he had been on my podcast, was actually going to be on my podcast after the World Cup. And then uh, things changed and I joined him at the World Cup. So uh, he was amazing. He would take me... Right. Every time, like the first day we were really there for media, he uh, I just followed him. Like I felt like I was on like an internship because he would (laughs) let me follow him around to do a take before the game. He'd show me the difference between, for example, if he did a Sportsnet hit versus a city news hit, which is their um, which is uh, Rogers kind of like uh, news uh, channel. So. Um, then I'd see how he'd interview players. He'd bring me alongside during scrums and sometimes he'd get, let me have the first question because he knew maybe I knew a bit more about Melvin Edgem than maybe he did or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So he was absolutely amazing. We hung out, we went to dinners a bunch of times. Um, he was incredibly supportive. If he thought I made a mistake or did something wrong, he'd kind of, you know, say, Hey, like, don't do that. Like, this is how you should do it or whatever the case may be. So, um, I cannot thank him enough. He was, I felt like we became friends too, a little bit. Like I was saw him every day, essentially throughout the whole tournament, uh, him and his camera guy, uh, Mario, who was really great too. So, uh, felt like I learned a lot, uh, had these amazing conversations and very fortunate to have had him alongside me because I felt like I, I learned, you know, a lot from him uh and like i just felt like i was on an internship i think that's the best way i could describe it and uh, he was always letting me look at what he did or watch him make um, tv hits or do sideline interviews and everything so he was awesome that must be incredibly inspiring and invigorating, kind of having that rapport with him, someone who's very much established his footprint in the media landscape. It, it must push you forward to want to continue to cover events of the of this style, of this magnitude, and, and push forth your journalistic career, Alex. Yeah, I will also say that uh, you realize how talented these guys are, right? Like, I, you know, watching them day in and day out, you think, 
whoa, that's, I, I feel a million miles away from that. Whatever that is, you also realize how hard the work is, right? Um, I see a rash and he does a one minute TV hit or like a two mm-hmm. minute TV hit. And he's for f- like an hour practicing what he's saying, the script, how it goes, like the sequencing, the pauses, the intro outro from video, like all the TV mechanics that you don't know, you don't really think of when you watch uh, a two minute Sportsnet blurb from Jakarta, right? You think, okay, he just says something and then they just put it on, uh, you know, put some film over it or, or you know, coverage or video from uh, of like Shay or whatever highlights over it. And it's much more complicated than that. And I don't actually have that journalistic background, although my dad was a, a prof, so I have an insight, but I never took like TV classes or anything like that. So it felt as though I learned so much about the industry. Um, and he, yeah, he was, he was amazing. Uh, you just realize how talented these guys are, not just at TV, like his questions. Um, he said something to me on his podcast that's really wrong with me is that he never prepares questions. He just listens and comes with it. Now, I think it means like you prepare, but when someone's listening, talking to you you think about what are they talking about how what what's the next follow-up or whatever and that gave me some insight to maybe when i'm doing interviews to be more in the here and now rather than i need to talk about this coverage or lou dort's health status or right. what happened in the third quarter uh but what, what are they telling me maybe they say something that isn't expected right and then following up on that and so he really guided me through that and um just to see someone at really the pinnacle of the industry was pretty inspiring and also just uh i felt i very much felt imposter syndrome alongside him uh as we were the only two canadian media um although we had a shout out to scott witter who's big on uh canada basketball twitter who was very funny uh, because he got, he, when he applied for FIBA, just a little tidbit, he applied, when he applied for FIBA, he put his, um, he, he put that he, he worked for X.com, uh, because he's just like a Twitter journalist. And so in the pressers, you'd, you have to say, you know, Alex Adams, Raptors Republic. Right. And so <laughs> there was this one where He's in, it's Shay up there and he says, uh, Scott Witter X.com. And you just see <laughs> Shay like start smirking in the background. Like who the heck is this guy? What, what is happening? So that was really funny. And he was great to be around. Uh, unfortunately he could be there for the whole time. He was there for the first round, but, uh, that was mm-hmm. funny too. Have you personally been converted to calling it X.com now, not Twitter? I feel like oh, I'm going to no. call it Twitter for the rest of my life. No, well, I believe that you when you put in x.com, it just takes you to Twitter and it says twitter.com. I believe I maybe I should right. do this right now as we're doing. But yeah, I'm not going to x.com. Uh, uh, we don't need to get into kind of my feelings about Elon Musk, but I would say they're not positive. So um, yeah, I'm going to stay Twitter until Twitter's around or whatever it is, x.com's around. So yeah, it's, it's Twitter or bust for me. Well, uh, it took me well over a decade to get the following that I have now. So I'm in no rush to leave. But again, if Elon Musk starts charging everybody a mandatory fee, I must say Uh, Facebook threads or whatever else is out there in the universe, it may be calling for Walder Sports. Hopefully it never comes to that. Don't get me wrong. But uh, again, that's another conversation for another day. Alex, uh, another person I want to talk to you about today on the podcast is someone who... And, and I'm a professional wrestling guy. It's almost like they had the ultimate mm. baby face turn. They were considered a <laughs> villain of basketball, but now they're the ultimate good guy. People want his face on the Canadian flag. And that's Dylan Brooks had this incredible showing, especially in that bronze medal game against the U.S., had 39 points, of course. What did you see from Brooks personally during this tournament that kind of took him to, to such a level because he stood out in such a positive way? Yeah, uh, the first thing was everyone talks about how he's not really a good shooter coming into this tournament. Like, not a bad shooter, but someone that, that can shoot. And I swear to God, watching him every day at practice, he was Canada's most consistent three-point shooter. He would go 8 of 10. He he felt like he has a weird motion. It's kind of hitchy. But uh, so in a weird way, sure, he's not going to go 78, 7 from 8 from 3 against the U.S. all the time or shoot. I think he shot 58%. <laughs> from three for the tournament it is a closer line i'm sure that helped a little bit but 
I didn't feel as though that the shooting mechanics are a fluke, and that's what's going to be really interesting to go into on more of a kind of uh, more on the deep end of, of just Dylan Brooks's game. But man, what a character. Um, I would say he was very hot and cold with the media, which was really interesting. Um, but he he was Canada's, you know, I mean, you have to say Shea was their best player and the heart and soul, but he was maybe the soul part and the heart part, uh, like the left side of the heart and the left side of the soul, let's say, alongside Shea, because he just was a menace defensively. Unless he got in foul trouble, he was outstanding, uh, you know, plays his heart out, right? And I think that's something that people always appreciate. If you give your 100%, you're a team guy. He sometimes has a boneheaded turnover, but for the most part, he wasn't taking dumb shots, which was really the criticism that a lot of people in, in Memphis had with him outside the off-court LeBron antics. Um, and he really, for the most part, took a lot of shots in rhythm. Obviously, he took a couple step backs, but it wasn't as though you felt as he was taking shots completely out of the offense or not passing when he should. He had oh, averaged almost three assists a game, which was, I mean, I wouldn't say he's an amazing uh, passer, but it felt as though he saw the court just enough that you need sometimes in terms of like uh, handoffs or, or little dump passes in the paint when he drove. I thought him finishing around the rim, he was really good, which I did not expect. Um, so he was just phenomenal. And it, obviously the, the antics and the punching, uh, in Manila with the the glo- boxing gloves and then um, getting in with the fans and what what, I, what was really funny was the first game they're playing France and it's a packed house the the, the the they sold out the stadium and you can tell it's a lot of fair weather NBA fans if they weren't from Canada or or France right and they're booing him in the intro at the end of the game it's MVP when he's at the free throw line and you're thinking. When will you ever see someone being booed before a game and then getting MVP chance in the same game? So that was <laughs> something I always will remember as what is happening, right? Uh, and that was just the first game. Like people don't even remember that France game anymore after the Spain and, and especially the the thirty nine points on the U.S. So uh, what a what a character and what it was really cool to to watch him really excel and elevate and it's going to be so fascinating to see how he does along fred alongside friend van vliet and the toronto raptors uh toronto raptors uh i wish uh and yeah. the houston rockets uh <laughs> next year um so i'm really excited for that well d- does it give you more of a, a positive outlook for the houston rockets chances because obviously yes. the, the fred van vliet dylan brooks backcourt got a lot of criticism when they made those signings you know it, it's an entirely different debate about how much they paid them and, and if it was justified or not. But considering how high Brooks's stock is right now after that showing with Canada, are you any more positive about Houston's chances running that backcourt together? Uh, I mean, if he play, truthfully, if he has the shot selection that he had for Canada and he continues to shoot, like let's say he shoots like 38% from three, which it felt possible, again, as I said, watching him uh, on the ground in in Jakarta, yeah, I really think that changes everything because he is what he's an All NBA type defender. He's like he's like OG Ananobi, really. Like if you make a comparison, different. Obviously, someone likes to talk a lot, and then OG doesn't talk at all. But overall, just he changes the outlook. You know what Fred is? He's like a nineteen point twenty point per game scorer. Uh, shoots a lot of threes tends to score uh, uh, shoot well from three at a a high volume in the high 30s sometimes 40s so um, I think it will be interesting is how they mesh with the young players because uh, Mm -hmm. let's just say the chemistry and the team dynamics haven't seemed to be great and that's without Kevin Porter uh, situation which obviously I, I, I don't think he'll be in the NBA ever again but uh, overall, uh, I think if, if, if Brooks is almost like half or like 75% of what he was with Canada, I think he's well worth the four times 80 million, uh, and an absolute like elite, elite NBA or not elite, elite NBA player, but elite, elite NBA rotation player. 
Well, Dylan Brooks, the uh, NWO's Danny Green, as uh, many have coined him <laughs> on uh, social media, a nickname I, I, I love because, again, I'm a wrestling fan. But earlier yeah. we did have that Freudian slip uh, about Fred Van Vliet still being yep. the point guard for the Toronto Raptors, which is no longer the case because now we have a new man in town, Alex, uh, the MVP <laughs> of the FIBA <laughs> World Cup, Dennis Schroeder, uh, a signing that a lot of people questioned, not because, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people were expecting Schroeder to outright replace Van Vliet. And we still don't know if he's going to be the starting point guard for Toronto. They might get a little bit creative and, and trot Gary Trent or even Scotty Barnes at the point. Oh but coming off of this tournament, uh, Alex, uh, how do you feel about Schroeder's chances being in Toronto? Obviously, we saw him play some of the best basketball of his career. Would you be confident with him running the point in Toronto as the new man in town? I will say that as good as uh, Dennis Schroeder was in, at the FIBA World Cup, I still would take Fred Van Vliet. Um, even at maybe not at 40 million, but something close to in the 30s. But yeah, he, I think if you give him a lot of volume, which it sounds as though if he is the starting point guard, he will get a lot of shots. Um, you can expect, you know, the 15 and seven from him, right? He. What's interesting yes. is the Raptors really since uh, Kyle Lowry's the era in 2013, they haven't really had that a uh, guy that can really beat guys off the dribble, unless you count Kyle Lowry doing that with his butt. Um, just consistently and really an athletic uh, driving point guard. So that'll be kind of a, interesting. Um, I think his best role is as a as a backup point guard, truthfully, like a really elite backup or on this team. It's going to be interesting. This team does not have shooting, and they went from Fred, who should be a pretty good shooter, although he wasn't great last year, to mm -hmm. Schroeder, who is still not a good shooter. And people think, oh, well, like he lit it up at FIBA. He still shot 33% from uh, the FIBA line. He wasn't sh scoring because he was making a lot of threes, but he made enough and a lot of deep threes that he can make some here or there. But it's not overall the most efficient way uh, to score or for him to shoot. So um, it looks like they're going to have a lot. He'll have a fair bit of volume shooting on this team. That probably helps him out and probably helps the team out overall. But you're going to see like, uh, you know, highs and lows with him. He will have a game where like with Germany and they almost lost to Latvia, 4 of 26. And then you'll have him where he's 9 of 17 and he has 26 and 10, right? So I think that's what you should expect is maybe some games he's amazing, some games he's not so much. Uh, he's definitely a big personality and I wonder how that fits in the dressing room uh but if that's your consolation prize for fred van vliet i don't think it's terrible um but again uh I, we may talk about this later but i'm not a big fan of the way messiah and bobby have really done uh their job since the 2019 championship and, and really before that where i thought they did an amazing job well, well, let's just get into it then. Tell me how you really feel, Alex. Do you want to drop some bombs, some pipe bombs on the Raptors front well, office at the moment? Because I've also been I'm, critical too. I'm not a Stephen A. Smith, like, just hot take or whatever, or, or <laughs> Shannon Sharp. Uh, I don't have my, my LeBron King James uh, suit anywhere nearby me at the right. moment. Uh, I'm actually a Michael guy, for the record. But to, to get to your actual question... Yeah, I just don't understand. I, I still remember being at the gym and seeing my phone. And I was so excited that the Raptors are finally going to blow up this team at the trade deadline. Tank for Wemby. This draft class is amazing. Let's do it. I'm all in. I'm ready. This team is dysfunctional. We don't even have to trade Siak. I'm just sell off Tank and try to get a Scoot, Wemby. I don't know about Brandon Miller, but those types of players in a deep, the Thompson Twins. And then I see we traded, <laughs> the Raptors traded for Jakob Pertl and gave up a first round pick. And I'm thinking, what? Yep. What? No, no, no. Okay. So we're, are you telling me that's a long term play? And then you're trading OG because you just want a center for the future. And it's like, nope. It's like, run it back. Uh, it's like the Leafs or something. It just, I don't understand what they're doing. Um, now they're in this conundrum and, and people can listen to, to, you know, shameless plug with Brian Windhorse, but it's like, they're caught, caught between a rock and a hard place with Siakam, with Ananobi. They're free agents. Siakam wants to play out the year because he gets all NBA. He gets a Supermax. Are the Raptors even going to offer a Supermax? I probably wouldn't uh, either way. 
so you need to make a decision there. Uh, ima- like imagine OG and Siakam walk out for nothing after next year, and you just think, what are you doing? Like, right at one point, at what point does patience become ineffective? Ineffective action, right? And mm-hmm. that's really what I think this front office has done primarily since the the championship right they probably could have got more for kyle lowry although i'd rather have precious achua than Taylor horn and tucker but uh it just i i just don't understand it i know windhorse talked about i believe they have the the least amount of transactions in the past three years of any nba team okay cool patience can be great look what happened in 2018 but or 2019 as well um but at the same time, you need to do some action. And if you just let guys walk out the door like a Fred for nothing, it's just not a successful plan. And you can tell this team isn't deep because they never recoup assets. They just lose players. So, yeah, do not, I'm, I'm covering the Raptors a little bit this year and I'm not excited for the on-court product. Um, but, uh, I mean... I hope if Scotty Barnes takes a leap, if Siakam is amazing, maybe this team can can scrounge 40 wins. But uh, they don't have shooting other than Grady Dick, who, thank God, he's come into my Raptors life because I needed it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So apart from him and and I guess Gary Trent's swag, they don't really have a lot of shooting on this roster. Um, Obviously, OG too, but... Yeah, I just don't understand what they've been doing. This offseason made it even worse. They didn't trade a Siakam. They didn't trade OG. I, I, I think Siakam probably would want to stay. I don't know about OG. That's been murky for years. So in the end, um, just I'm not saying do something for the sake of doing something, but sometimes, you know what? You have to make a move because, mm-hmm. you know, something is better than nothing a lot of the time. And they just have decided to do nothing. Uh, and uh, you can see that with where the team's at right now. Well, Kawhi Leonard's don't grow on trees, unfortunately. Trades like that no. are a kind of a, a dime a dozen. I mean, again, if you looked on social media, it, it looks like every other day it's, you know, where is Giannis Antetokounmpo going? Where is Damian mm-hmm. Lillard going to ultimately end up? And I think those are the types of moves that Raptors fans are kind of pining for, considering it was the superstar acquisition that brought us the championship. But again, it's almost like the Raptors front office is trying to follow the blueprints of like a Boston or Miami, like keep those core together Mm -hmm. eventually they'll figure it out but at this point it feels like the Raptors have kind of run its course with the the Siakams the Ananobis obviously Van Vliet's out the door right now it's going to be a very tumultuous season for Raptors fans like you and I because again the expectations simply aren't there until they make a move for you know perhaps the superstar will eventually come back to Canada yeah no um like talking to Windhorse yesterday like he said uh 50 50 that Giannis is a buck by the end of his contract um so that might give some Raptors fans hope but they don't have assets right and they have this first round pick that's going out because of Pirtle and I I really like Pirtle it just it doesn't make sense right um in my mind to 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 add a player like him sure they needed a center but they need a center that bad to give a top six protected pick although this draft feels like the anthony bennett draft in in 2013 uh (laughs) shout out to him uh but just overall um i don't understand what they're doing the damian lillard situation that doesesn't make a lot of sense to me especially with the money Giannis maybe but then what are you trading are you trading siakam he wants to be a contender right so to play for a contender so if you trade siakam and and I don't know, Gary Trent or something, and all your picks, how good are you? Or if you trade Scotty and all your picks for, for Giannis, how good are you with you know Giannis and Siakam and OG? I think you're pretty good, but are you necessarily better than the Bucks right now? I don't know. So I don't see where this team is going. I, I just hope that they learned from their lessons last year and just at least by the trade deadline have – a signature like sign OG or sign Siakam and if it's Siakam like I just just make a decision that's all I'm asking um, we'll see how Darko is um, probably time for a change um, with with Nick Nurse uh, interesting that he wasn't with Canada um, I think that was because of ownership from what I've heard not because of Daryl Morey which is an interesting little tidbit but um, yeah it's uh, gonna be 
interesting but uh in in scotty and grady dick we trust so it, it let's let's do that and siakam's always been amazing <laughs> and last year was phenomenal so it, it, it won't be terrible but i feel like they're in the the murky middle which is never really where you want to be in the nba as a fan we, we can't trade scotty barnes alex because then what will i have on Twitter, that's like basically my bread and butter. If I don't have the Raptors all-time scoring list climb, I'm basically just a shell of myself. I can't let Scotty Barnes go. I hope the Raptors kind of commit to him. They wouldn't trade him for Kevin Durant in the first place. So uh, who's to say what they will do? Scotty ba- Barnes for Durant, I feel so in between. I was all on trade for KD, and the way KD's been the past couple of years, I feel like they probably made the right move. I don't know. Um, but sorry, I cut you off. So I, I apologize. But uh, yeah, no, we have Grady Dick. Okay. It's, it's all vibes. <laughs> we have Grady Dick. If Siakam's, uh, if, if Scotty's there, you know, Grady Dick with some spice, that's kind of nice. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to be glass half full, uh, but it, it's, it's, it's definitely hard, but they won't be terrible. They're not, this isn't going to be like, you know the the 76ers in the mid 2010s right like they're, they're they'll be fun to watch uh just every time they shoot a three just you know you can you know turn off the tv for four seconds and then realize that the other you know turn it back on and then the other team has the ball in transition because it's not going in so uh <laughs> that's that's what it's going to be like is just get in transition and have fun when in transition and the rest will be a bit more muddied Alex Adams of the Behind the Play podcast here with me on the Walder Sportscast today. Alex, I just want to close up shop here quickly with the Canada and Olympics talk. We, we have the Paris Games coming up in 2024. Do you have any plans on being there in Paris? Yes, that is my existential question. Uh, I've been really putting a lot of work in feelers. It's very hard to get accreditation, uh, as you would know. Um, so, uh, we'll see. I, I think probably likelier than not, I will go. Um, I don't know if it will necessarily be as a fan or as a journalist, but, uh, going to an Olympics is pretty cool. Um, and, uh, I hear Lille is nice because that's actually where the first round of the tournament will be, um, mm-hmm. like the, the group games and then they'll go to Paris. Um, so, uh, but, uh, I hope so. I'll definitely be doing a bunch of Canada basketball. I, I, there's a rumor that, uh, Canada plays will might play to uh, the U.S. in Toronto and then play in Vegas against the U.S. next summer. Uh, I am definitely getting my media accreditation, and you should join me, Chris, if that happens uh, yeah. and, and cover Canada versus USA in, at the ACC. Man, that would be so freaking cool. So um, I'll definitely be there for that, and, and hopefully the Olympics as well. But uh, that's more TBT. But um, we'll we'll see. I, I think it's probably a decent chance. Well, you've personally inspired me to do more Canada basketball coverage in the future, Alex. <laughs> I hope that is the case. I can go to the ACC, uh, Scotiabank, wherever the games are, or even go to Paris to cover the games uh, at the Olympics because my wife has said that she wants to go over there. It's a dream of hers well, uh, to watch the Olympics live. But but before we close up this part of the podcast, Alex, I want you to just give me the quick sales pitch for Canada heading into these games because we've now seen the medal at the FIBA World Cup. There's actual genuine expectations, and, and now we're hearing the stories about how the usa is you know lebron james is essentially <laughs> nick fury avengers assemble uh, getting all the exactly. superstars of the nba give me the quick you know the, the quick pitch for canada like do, do you actually foresee them you know living up to expectations in paris or is it just too much too soon for this program uh that is a very good question i would say the expectation should be a medal um now whether they do that you know only time will tell I'd imagine Jamal Murray's there. If I'm Rowan Barrett uh, and Andrew Wiggins comes calling, which I am very, I'm, I wouldn't say very certain, but I'd imagine will happen, you say yes. Um, just keep the core of the NBA guys there and then fill out the rest of the roster with guys that want to be there. Jamal Murray was part of the core 14 or whatever, even though he's never played for Canada at a men's tournament, which does not, uh, you know, I'm aware of. Uh, so he played Pan Am games, uh, in 2015. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the goal is to medal the U S bringing a, uh, you know, Avengers style team with LeBron doing a last dance type documentary is made my day. And that's why when they beat them, it'll be even sweeter. But I really think this team will have learned a lot about themselves. A lot of 
international basketball is continuity. For example, the U.S., they won the Olympics, sure, in 2021, but they barely beat France. They won by, I think, five points in the gold medal game. They had lost to France earlier that tournament. If the U.S. sends an Avenger team, sure, they probably have more talent than Canada overall, but if you just play your top seven, the discrepancy isn't great. And you know what? Shea's played with Nikhil, with Dylan, with Kelly, Mm -hmm. with um, Brooks, of course. I I think I already said Brooks. But they will have the continuity. They will have gone through the trials and tribulations. They know international basketball, right? Steph Curry hasn't played FIBA since 2014. LeBron hasn't played FIBA since 2012. Um, It's Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant. And obviously, it will be tough. But even when the U.S. sends its best teams, the the world's caught up with them, right? And FIBA is very different. You need more size. The Americans don't have a lot of size. The problem is Canada doesn't either. But... Um, I really think Canada will, in a lot of ways, have as big a trouble against a team like Germany or Luka if they have maybe a better squad or Serbia with Jokic, which would not be fun, right? Um, those teams scare me almost as much as the USA because it's going to be a quick turnaround um, right after the offseason. Um it's like it's there's less of a kind of a ramp up than the FIBA World Cup, and right. they're all going to be learning to be around each other. And for Canada, they'll actually, we've always talked about Canada doesn't have continuity but has the talent. This time, Canada will have some continuity, and uh, and it's not like their talent's going to be bad. If you add a, a Jamal and, and Andrew Wiggins, uh, that's a pretty like how many games does that team win in the NBA, right? If you take add Wiggins and Jamal to the current Canada squad. Is that like a 50 win NBA team? Like they're going to be really good. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I, I think the, the expectation is medals, um, with the way the format works, it's, pr- it's pretty likely that they'd make the quarterfinals Then you have to win one game and then you're in the semis and you're right there. So there's kind of, um, there's a games that, you know, have more stakes more quickly, but at the same time, it's a bit easier to make it deep in the tournament, even if you have a hiccup in the first round or whatever. So um, I really think it's uh, medals uh, should be the, the the goal. And I think a gold medal is definitely not out of the possibility. Well, you heard it here first, everybody. Canada winning gold in Paris at the Olympic Games. Alex Adams with the exclusive. Uh, again, no pressure, buddy. I hope that is the case uh, coming up at the Olympics. It would be a, a tremendous moment coming off the FIBA World Cup. And again, I've personally never been more invested in the Canada men's basketball program. Obviously, that bronze medal helped, of course, as did your coverage throughout the tournament, which I appreciate and many of our listeners and followers appreciate as well. We are going to close up shop here shortly, my friend. But before before we sign off as a recurring thing on the Walder Sportscast, I do have some fun questions to send you yeah, on your go way. For it. So my wife and I watch a lot of TikTok, something that I once said I would never do. But there is this one trend that I've seen that I kind of dig, and I'm going to do that here with you today. It's called blind rankings, one through five. So you don't know what comes next. I'm going to essentially list off five NBA guards, and you're going to rank them one at a time, but you're not going to know who comes next. I'm curious how this this ranking unfolds. This is fun. I love it. Okay, let's do it. All right. So player number one, Alex, Jamal Murray. Oh. Oh. Uh, do you play it safe? Do you have him at number three or number two? Where do you? Yeah, play? yeah, no, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, do I go two? You know what? I'm gonna go two because I think Jamal, even though he's never been an All Star, is actually better than some guards in the NBA. So I'm gonna go two. All right, we have Jamal Murray at number two. Next up, Bradley Beal. Oh, oh, oh! What the? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely not ahead of Jamal, so I feel good about my first pick. Do I go four or do I go three? Hmm. The two. Decisions, I'm gonna go decisions. four. I'm gonna go four because he never is on a team that wins, and uh, I, the the fact that the first two are Jamal Murray and Bradley Beal, I feel like there's other heavy hitters. So I'm gonna go four. All right, we have Jamal Murray at two, Bradley Beal at four. Next up, Trey Young. Oh my God. 
do I go five? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, I am I am not on Trey uh, Young's island because uh, you know I like to get passes from others after before waiting right fifteen seconds. <laughs> um, uh, this is tough. I am not a big fan, but I, I feel as though to put him below Bradley Beal would be definitely a slight. So I'm going to put him at three. All right, Jamal Murray at two, Bradley Beal at four, Trey Young at three. Next up, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Oh my God, why are you doing this to me? This has to be. I can't put him five. I'm. I'm it's one, one. Lock number in. one, Shea Gilgis Alexander at number one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Easy. He's but and and as good as Jamal Murray was in the playoffs, he averaged. I think he had ten assists in his first. Was it the first four games of the finals? I forget. He was amazing. I still think Shea is just, I think he could win the MVP this year. I don't think it's likely, but I think wow. he's in that echelon of, of teams because I think the Thunder will, they get to 50 wins. Um, he's going to be the best player on the team. He just, like, you look at him against the U. Anyways, I'm going on a diatribe about Shea, which I can do all the time. So I'm not going to do that. But, yeah, I, I think he is the upper echelon of upper echelon in this league and uh putting him at number one unless you throw out like luca which i feel like is gonna happen uh i'm gonna go <laughs> shay at number one so we have shea gilgis alexander followed by jamal murray trey young and bradley beal and <laughs> just for the record happen. i am not throwing curveballs at you i have predetermined this list so i'm not deviating from the script here the, the last guard here is luca donovan mitchell oh Wow. Okay. You know what? I actually feel really happy about this. Um, I I really like Donovan, but so he's my five, right? Like I have to put him at five. He's, he's not, you have to put him at number five. So I have I have Jam, I have Shay Jamal Trey Bradley Donovan. That that feels that feels okay. I'd probably flip Donovan over Bradley, and if I had to make a decision, um, I I'm not as high on Donovan Mitchell, although he's amazing. Um, but those are pretty good players. So I feel like my, my list could have been way worse. If you threw me like Luca, I would have been, I would have lost my mind. Cause I'm like, he's not five. Like I, I, <laughs> I screwed up. So I'm, I'm glad that you gave me someone, but yeah, uh, Trey, Trey is an enigma for me. Um, it's like, it's like when people talk about LeBron being the best player of all time, it's like, I just, I can't. Um, but, uh, he is uber talented, but I would just never want to play with him. So, uh, uh, Bradley Beal is weird. Bradley Beal and Donovan Mitchell are kind of similar type ish players. So, um, I'd probably put Mitchell over them if I had to make a real ranking, but it feels, it feels way better than I would have thought. So I appreciate this. If, if there's more to come, I'm, I'm ready to. A safe list, Alex. Again, this is the first time I've ever asked such a question on the Walder Sportscast, so you nailed it. And again, I don't want to get into my Donovan Mitchell, Gary Trent Jr. take that I had on Twitter oh my uh, God. last year. Oh my which God, kind of I, I missed this. Some hot takes. We don't, we don't need this. to bring what that up, it? Alex. You know, you don't need to bring <laughs> okay. it up. Uh, again, if okay. you want to, I think I deleted it too because I was getting okay. ripped apart on social <laughs> media. But something, Alex, that I, I usually ask on the podcast, and I asked this a lot during the pandemic because obviously we all had a lot of free time. Time, we had nothing to do is what are you currently binge watching and if you're not binge watching anything what is the last great show that you watched on the regular okay so i have a couple answers the first one was during the pandemic i just went and did suits so my mind i was just having fun i was in this weird world nothing really was like real but i i love suits um i love succession uh I was nice. the kind of guy that realized that I needed to catch up on it. So I just watched the series finale and then I'm going to catch up so that I didn't miss out on Twitter succession vibes. Um, so I, 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 that was, you know, people can call me crazy because it was crazy. Right now, I really liked Winning Time and I know it got canceled, but that was the show I've, I've been really digging. I, I will say it, the second season had me. Um, wasn't I didn't feel as good it was as good as the first but um, I really liked winning time so that that's the one that I've been all on but I'm not a big TV guy I, I feel um, I just I can't I don't have time for it I feel like all the time but uh, I loved winning time and man to have Adrian Brody as Pat Riley is something I needed in my life that I didn't know and John C. Riley uh, I can say the same thing as Jerry Buss so uh, really good uh, 
cast. And I will say as well, the guy, I, f- I forget the names, but the guys that play Kareem and Magic, I felt were really, really good. So those are really hard to do good um, kind of athlete takes, especially people that are so famous. Uh, and then you need someone tall and looks like they're Magic or looks like they're Kareem doing a sky hook. So uh, shout out to those actors because they made it very, as real as I felt they probably could. Did winning time end with the Boston Celtics winning the NBA championship? It did. It, it, how apt uh, is boo, that? Worst show ever. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. Uh, Bill Simmons is probably like, I, you know, he heard that winning time ended and he got excited because he hates the way they portrayed like Larry Bird or something. And then he realized that the Celtics ended on a high with winning. And then he's like, okay, I want the show to keep going or something. I'm sure that's what Bill Bill was thinking. But uh, yeah, what a, what a, <laughs> What a weird way to end a show. Uh, and the weird way, it opened with Magic having like the AIDS thing, and then that's just going to be disregarded. I was waiting for that kind of 360. So what a weird what a weird <laughs> show if someone finds it in like 20 years. <laughs> well, Alex, you are from Ottawa, and even though I am not much of a hockey guy, I'm going to ask this anyway. Is there really true bad blood between Senators and Maple Leafs fans? It's a, how... how like how many people on Twitter aren't just bots? Um, if they're not bots, <laughs> then yes. Uh, if they if they if they're real people, then yes. There's a lot of bad blood. I will say I'm a huge Sens fan. I go to a bunch of games. Um, when I go to Sens versus Leafs games, as I'm fortunate enough to do, uh, it is hilarious because it's all university kids like my age in their early twenties or, or you know nineteen. Uh, and uh, in Leafs jerseys, and then there's just the diehard Sens fans. So it's a weird, interesting mix. There's always t- tends to be more Leafs fans than Sens fans, but I think that's going to change this year. So, um, yeah, it, it is a rivalry, but uh, I was actually talking on my own podcast to a guy at Sportsnet, Luke Fox, really nice guy. If you're into hockey and the Leafs, uh, check out his work. He's great. Um, and, uh, you know, I think they might play each other in the playoffs. I think that's coming back like when I was a kid in like 04. So that would be really fun because uh, like all Canadian, you know, all Ontario uh, playoff series would be pretty amazing. Kind of like the when the Leafs lost to the Habs in, in the playoffs, because I, I definitely don't forget that. So too yeah. soon. Too soon. You're just opening up old wounds. We finally won a playoff round, and now we're talking about losing to the Habs and the, oh. our historic blunders in the postseason. It's a lot. And I'm not even a hockey guy, Alex. Yeah. 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 No. I mean, I will say I was always, I picked the Habs in seven on my show at the time just to spite Leafs fans in that year. Just, I, I thought the, the Leafs would win, but I was just like, until they do it, Habs in seven, and it happened. And that was one of the best days of my life. So, um yeah do not like the Leafs although I I actually do like watching them they're they're fun but I I will say I love watching Leafs Twitter like just it seems like oh every year it's like oh the season's even worse like there's nothing to play for we're more apoplectic and then they get more apoplectic each year because they just lose in worse and worse fashion so uh that's why I love hockey is just because to see the Leafs demise you're an evil man, Alex, uh, when it comes no. to the Toronto Maple Leafs. But again, you are from Ottawa, and there is a little bit of yeah. a, a bad blood there, so I will cut you some slack. But last but not least, my friend, a recurring question here on the podcast. If social media were to disappear tomorrow, no more Twitter, no more Instagram, YouTube, podcasting, pretty much everything online compacted into one, what is the one thing you would want your followers, your listeners, your readers to most remember you for? Oh, Wow. Wow. Um, definitely not my Twitter. Uh, it'd have to be a podcast or something. Um, I do talk about kind of mental health stuff on my Instagram. So maybe something it's that or my podcast. I don't know what my, I've had a lot of podcasts. I don't really feel like I have one that sticks out to me. Um, but I guess if, if it's a generic thing, it'd be a podcast. Um, but, uh, I'm trying to think, I, I don't know about you, but I never feel like I come out of a podcast and be like, yeah, I killed it. You know, I never feel that way. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, so um, I had one with a guy. I don't know if you know who Dan Robson is. He's like a hockey writer. Um, my dad knows him. He, he writes really cool feature stories. He talked about Hockey Canada. Uh, he's written books about Doug Gilmore and like like autobiographies and stuff. Uh, or like as a ghostwriter, I had a really interesting conversation with him about writing. 
Um, and I would say I had David Amber on um, last year and I, I got him to sweat, which I will always have that picture in my mind because we were talking about kind of like uh, kind of, uh, you know, being black in hockey and hockey Canada, the sexual assault. And we had this like deep conversation and I'm like, OK, now on to fun stuff. And I could just see him being like, oh, like, oh, and, thank God. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was like he answered like he answered it great. But um, so that will always kind of. I always remember that. So those are maybe the two things where I felt, oh, that was a really informative discussion about writing and what makes you a good writer and difference between writing books and pieces and everything. And then David Amber uh, making him sweat as someone who's a seasoned pro as a, a, like himself on, on TV um, was, was kind of something I'll always remember. Well, I hope all of the listeners here today do continue to check out all of the content content that you're putting out, Alex. Again, a lot of work was done in Jakarta during this tournament. More work to come with the upcoming Toronto Raptors season and, of course, the Paris Olympic Games coming up in a year. I want to thank you so much for doing the podcast. It's been my first podcast since May uh, of, of this summer, so it's been a minute. Again, the training wheels are off, but again, you were such a tremendous guest. Before I let you go, though, just remind the listeners where they can find your work on the web. Yeah, so I normally do this on my podcast, so I'm not very good at answering it myself. Uh, and I will say that if this is your first podcast in in what you said since May, that's pretty good start because I'd be very rusty, and I didn't feel as though you were rusty or anything at all. So Thank um, you. to plug myself, I guess for basketball fans, um, I have Brian Windhorst uh, coming out like right after the show. So uh, we talked about. Um, you know, the Raptors, his relationship with LeBron, Dame trades, Giannis, um, a cool little thing about how he, he took inspiration to go to, uh, to to Paris to do the lottery with Victor Wembanyama because of Elliot Friedman and Connor McDavid, which I thought was a really interesting story. So, um, yeah, so check out Wendy. He was great. Um, and uh, I'll have a bunch of like Ron McLean, hopefully Steve Dangle, a bunch of people in the hockey world. Um, I'm trying to nail down Om Young Masuk and Ramona Shelburne of ESPN and then uh, other people as well in the basketball world. Maybe Michael Grange will do. So um, check out my stuff. I'll also be at Raptors Republic doing some kind of game stuff. Uh, so, yeah, all over. Follow me if you want. If you don't, that's OK, too. But, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the plug. And um, thanks so much, for Chris, uh, Chris, for having me on. And you can have me on whenever you want. So. Uh, this was a lot of fun, so more than happy to do it again. And that was my interview with Alex Adams. Alex Adams, BTP on Twitter, the BTP referencing his Behind the Play podcast, which, by the way, a new episode was released on Thursday featuring ESPN's Brian Windhorst, a very big get for Alex. Quotes from that show are slowly but surely making their way around social media, including some juicy tidbits pertaining to Giannis Antetokounmpo and his future with the Milwaukee Bucks, so go give that a listen when you're done here. And to all of the aggregators out there, just a quick note, it really doesn't take much time to tag an account properly. I'm just saying. This has been episode 68 of the Walder Sportscast. Leave a rating and review if you had a good time today. It really does help me out a ton. Download the show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, Amazon, basically everywhere. Joining me next time, tentatively, will be Chelsea Late of Raptors HQ. She's the new editor-in-chief over at that site, so be on the lookout for that show at some time next week. For now, thank you so much for tuning in. That's another one in the books. So for now, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.